Welcome to the Outward OPC podcast. Outward OPC is a work of the Committee on Home Missions, and it exists to encourage zeal for reaching the lost and to be a tool for the OPC and other Reformed churches to be more effective in reaching people outside the church. You can check out the website at outwardopc.com for articles, videos, and tools to help you and your church be more outward in your ministry. Now on with today's episode. Brad Herzog here for Outward OPC. Today I have Jim Hookstra with me. Jim is the pastor of Emmanuel Church in Anoka, Minnesota. Jim has also been, as you'll learn, Jim has been a church planter and pastor in a, a couple different settings in the OPC. But Jim, we are really glad to have you here today. If I can shift gears a little bit, sure. church planting and pastoring, being called as an evangelist in the OPC to plant a church is a busy endeavor across the board. <laughs> how do you, you've had, a, you've had a couple opportunities, you've had some mentors, how do you balance or how do you make sure that evangelism doesn't get squeezed out early on in a church plant? How do you make sure it gets its proper natural position? Both you as a church planter are busy, but you know you'll find time, but also people's lives are busy. You're trying to balance that. You mm-hmm. mentioned it earlier. The pastor evangelizes and the congregation evangelizes, but they're busy too. They're raising children. They're busy at work. Yep. How do you how do you work that out in the life of a congregation so that it so evangelism has yeah. the right spot from day one? Yeah, yeah, that's a, a balance, and sometimes there's adjustments and and kind of revamping that happens. This last year, I haven't done as much as I would like because our church has been growing. There's been lots of uh, discipleship, pastoral ministry. There's been as well, uh, we bought our first building. And then as well, we're, Lord willing, going to be particularized in May. And we've got new officers that needed to be trained in that. You look at it as a temporary situation. You know, you just have so much time, energy, et cetera, but you got to get back uh, to the evangelism more. One of the things that's been helpful, Brad, is um, in the works that I've been involved in planting, early on, fairly early on, I, I developed an outreach and evangelism committee. Because um, it's not an either-or when it comes to evangelism, either the pastor or the congregation. It's a both-and situation. And this way, it takes a little bit of the pressure off me in that I have to do it all. But also, it spreads out our contacts because they have contacts and they have gifts and insights Uh, So what we've done is we've usually written some guidelines for the committee a little bit when we first start meeting. I've tried to look for people with various gifts, uh, some who are directly have direct some gifts in evangelism themselves, uh, some who are good with ideas that we brainstorm sometime and try to keep within the bounds of our confessional documents and and that sometimes people who are good administratively that can keep us on on task and uh, see that things get fulfilled. And so um, 
and and they develop an enthusiasm. Right now, we have a lady who has been one of the uh, impetuses, but then we have a, a fellow who was years ago a pastor of community outreach and in uh, a local congregation. And he has loads of ideas and and that sort of thing. Sometimes our ideas or my ideas are good. Sometimes they're not good, you know. But um, it's it's interesting. It's very stimulating sometimes there. And one of the big problems we have is we want to do too many things. So um, as um, an older elder, when I was first in ministry, said, you know, a small church can only do one big thing at a time. And, and do it well. Uh, that doesn't mean, okay, if you're in a building, you neglect evangelism, but you realize there's only so much you can do. You know, maybe your evangelistic work is this thing, uh, this hope explored thing right now. And then you move on to something else or rerun it, uh, that sort of thing. So a committee or a team can be really helpful. So if I could just follow up on that, I, I tend to, as I interview you guys, I tend to think of as a listener, as a person in a church or a pastor in a church. Are you, when you form that committee, are you being very particular about sort of the leaders of the church selecting people for the committee? How, how do you deal with the challenge of people wanting to be on the committee, but maybe it's not really their thing and they don't really know that? How do you get the right people? Is it is it leader driven to encourage people to come on or do you do you kind of let people find their way and god figure it out um a little bit of both but you know you observe for a while i i think uh that's one thing that's helpful is observation over time because you you see what gifts and graces and areas of sanctification that people still need and then you uh, often start talking to them about, hey, would you be interested in such and such? Like right now, we have uh, two out of five members or so that are new converts. Um, and they have lots of contacts, which is really helpful. Yeah, you have to get the right mix and you know, our evangelism, we can do some different things, but we want to be faithful to our standards and, and the way we do it and carry it out in the doctrine and that. Sometimes it just takes a private conversation with somebody uh, to say, hey, you know, maybe a better way to do that would be this way or or to think about that uh, part of the nurturing relationship. And by God's grace, um, I've been at Emmanuel for quite a few years, and I've been able to develop trust with people. Uh, so a lot of times I can come alongside them and say, hey, uh, let's head this direction, or have you thought about this or, or that? And generally, uh, the meetings have been good. When you think about going back to maybe your, your tagline for the church, living on mission in the Midwest, when you think about wanting to be intentionally evangelistic, you mentioned earlier about in preaching, you want to you know tell stories of evangelism and things that are happening. I, I wonder more collectively how you think being reformed, conscientiously reformed, but also wanting to be accessible and evangelistic, how does that affect your preaching? 
Uh, I always say, listeners yeah. will know, I always say to guys, uh, guys always say, well, you have to define your terms. And I say, well, we know that. Let's, can we get past <laughs> defining terms? Like, how does it affect your preparation? How does it affect how you preach and how you're thinking about people to be intentionally accessible and evangelistically minded without, without losing being reformed? Yeah. Um, you know, I was raised in the reformed faith. So I have over 60 years of exposure to reform. There was a season when I was outside of it uh, for a while. What's But what happened is I went through a genesis where I became reformed, not just by birth, but by conviction. And that really helped me and helped me to understand uh, how people on the outside think sometimes. But one of the things that I found helpful, I remember I went to Westminster in California and Bob Godfrey, I don't remember when it was, but he said, you know, one thing that reform people have not been good at is they haven't been good popularizers. And he meant that in a a positive sense. Uh, Now, I've built on what Bob said in different ways, but I've had a couple of people that I've drawn from uh, that have been helpful for taking hard concepts and making them more simple or accessible. Uh, One is I grew up Um, my grandmother and I would listen to James Montgomery Boyce on the radio. Um, And then later on Saturdays, the program was on Saturday morning, we would talk about the sermon, or on Sunday we would. And one of the things about Jim Boyce was he took hard things, made them accessible and interesting there. Um, As well, another person that I've read of decent amount in is Jay Adams, uh, because he had ability to do that as well. And then one of the strangest places you would think for this was actually Jay Gresham Machen. I remember reading his uh, The Christian View of Man, which were radio messages that he gave weekly. And uh, he took things uh, that were difficult, like he took from the the little ditty from the McDuffie Reader in Adam's Fall, We Sinned All. And he explained, you know, basically the two federal heads or, or two covenant heads that are of humanity and how Adam's actions were considered our actions and the guilt of Adam's sin uh, was considered ours and uh, explained it in terms that the average guy without much background could grab hold of. And, and then what I've also tried to do is there's a few ministries that I think do a good job of explaining things, especially to non-Christians. Uh, one is thegoodbook.com, and another one is uh, Matthias Media. And for instance, if you go through Two Ways to Live, uh, when it talks about Adam, it says uh, God was king. Adam didn't want God to be the king of him and the, or the boss of him. He went his own way. Everyone since then has done the same. Now, if you're talking to somebody who has ever darkened the door of a church, they can understand the idea of king. They can understand the idea of rebellion. And so what you do, you use your same terms per se, 
but you explain them and illustrate them at different uh, points. And you do it not only for the non-believers, but your own people. I remember uh, the story of uh, John Sidema, who's a PCA minister, um, who's a very good preacher in his own right. And he relayed how when he went to seminary, he went to hear uh, the green, one of the Greenways. I think it was Leonard Greenway. It was a family of a grandfather, father, grandson uh, that were good, fine preachers. And he said he went and heard Leonard Greenway, and he was disappointed because it was so simple. And then as the years went on, John Sidema recognized that, no, it was really brilliance in a sense that not everything can we understand in the Christian faith. Our God is incomprehensible in, in certain ways, uh, but um, the importance of, of trying to be uh, clear and simple. And so over time, I try to work in illustrations of things. Um, for instance, on justification by faith alone, I'll use the terms, I'll speak from the uh, shorter catechism, what justification is, but I'll say, suppose this was the case. We'll use you, Brad, as an example. You were without a job, you racked up uh, $75,000 of credit card debt, you had no income, you had no resources, you couldn't pay it off at all, okay? Well, then your mom comes in, and she pays your $75,000 debt and pays it off. So you have no, uh, no dealings with the creditors anymore. But that's only half the story. Then your mom comes in and she puts $250,000 into your bank account. And so you've got all that positive capital. Jesus took all our debts, wiped them out. But not only did he do that, he gave us all his positive capital, all his law keeping, so that we have the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ given to us as a free gift received by faith. Or if you take other concepts, let's say um, uh, in Hebrews where it says, Jesus learned obedience from the things he suffered. That's very confusing to people because People usually imply that Jesus must have been disobedient because he learned obedience. And so I say, look at it this way. Um, you take a kindergartner and they're tested, let's say, on their colors or their numbers or that. And every assignment all throughout, they get 100 on. They, they pass with flying colors, no pun intended uh, there. Uh, but then that same kid goes through school all the way through, gets straight A's on all homework and all assignments, comes to high school, and now they're in calculus. And uh, they go through calculus, straight A's on every assignment, uh, all the homework, et cetera, every test and that. The tests have become harder along the way, but every time have been matched by the perfect obedience there. And the Lord Jesus uh, reached the pinnacle of the tests, both in Gethsemane and then in the cross, and he passed with flying colors there. That's how Jesus learned obedience from the things he suffered. And thank God where I failed, Christ has prevailed, or where we have failed, Christ has prevailed. So 
I, I encourage interns to come up with some stock uh, illustrations uh, because we're used to preaching to the theological choir at times. Uh, but if we can use uh, those things in the course of our ministry, and I remind my people at times, this might seem simple, but I want to get you to the point where you can simply and clearly explain this as, as well as we can as limited creatures and sinful creatures, you know, to other people. That's really good, Jim. Thanks for that thoughtful answer and illustrations. I think that's really, really helpful for lots of people. Um, there have been a couple threads mentioned here that I, I might try to pull together. You've mentioned your background, kind of a deep background in the OPC in the Midwest. We've You've mentioned Jim Bosgraft and Don Stanton and kind of the thread of their uh, work at, uh, I think you said it was Oostberg, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, when we think about the OPC, there, there are some strand, some interesting strands, and I, and I tend to think, and I think others tend to think, the Midwest, with the men that you mentioned, is one of those interesting strands of generational kind of threads passing on to you and, and, and to others. I wonder if you could, uh, I, I'm also thinking, for, for listeners' sake, I'm thinking when I, w- when I used to go to the, uh, to the regional uh, church meeting in Orlando and Jim was there and all the fun uh, you guys had with, I wouldn't call it a cartoon strip, but he used to have like a newsletter that had some funny kind of cartoon things in. When it came time for the breakdown of church planting, everybody knew to look to Jim to see, you know, what was he going to kind of do? And I, I wondered if you could pull some of those threads. I think it's kind of unique, the background you have um, and how long you've kind of been in that Midwestern thread of the OPC. If you could just share a little bit of your thoughts of how the Lord has used that sort of group and connection of men to sort of shape some of these churches and presbyteries in the Midwest. I think people would appreciate hearing a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, to God alone be the glory, uh, to the Lord be the glory, uh, the great things he has done. But uh, one interesting uh, feature of, of working with some of those people is um, they're people who let the Lord, don't take the word let, let the Lord use them, in, don't take that in the wrong way, let the Lord use them in their strengths and their weaknesses uh, there, that uh, the weaknesses aren't ultimately debilitating, but they're a place for the resurrected power of Christ to flow in and through through us. Yet there's um, a, a concern that we not only be defensive in regards to the Reformed faith, and I believe there's a defensive element to it. We need to guard the good deposit. Uh, but there's also an offensive perspective on the on the Reformed faith and the gospel. And the gospel is the greatest good news in all the world. One of the things um, I learned particularly from Jim Bosgraf is he was really concerned with the glory of God, not in an obsessive way, you know, someone who's imbalanced, but in a quiet, undergirding way. Uh, He could proclaim it, he could talk about it, but in a a very balanced way. And uh, realizing that 
you, you know, we don't want to play worship off against evangelism. But, you know, as we come back to John 4, you know, the Father is seeking worshipers. And that's one of the key reasons why we do evangelism. Another piece I think that was uh, very important uh, was the importance of prayer, you know, undergirding uh, life and ministry and, and church planting efforts there through the years. I've been, he's still living, but I've been the recipient for 35 years of Jim Bosgraf's daily prayers for uh, myself and my family every day. I think one of the reasons was uh, his prayers, his wife Judy's prayers, other people that I've had along the line uh, in ministry. When I grew up, I uh, taught a Sunday school class uh, when I, before I went to seminary, and one of the ladies said to me, you, you sound just like a minister, you know, uh, was what she said to me. And uh, she prayed for me every day for 10 years until the Lord took her home. Wow. Um, you, you know, a life has been enriched. Sometimes you get the bad examples of the Christian faith, and we've all seen them and uh, in that. But life has been enriched by a lot of times simple people who just make diligent use of the means of grace uh, and, and recognize, you know, um, Psalm 96, one, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among the peoples. Um, you know, the need to declare God's glory and missions and evangelism is really about places that don't give God the willing glory that he deserves. He'll get glory uh, Romans 9, you know, but uh, we want to see willing glory given to God. And um, also, um, I was mentored by a number of people, uh, particularly uh, by a number of RHMs or, or, or general secretaries to a certain extent. And they taught me a lot about uh, life and ministry and people uh, that was invaluable. I think uh, the investments in people that they made were something that I'll always be grateful for. You know, one was Jim Bosgraf, another was Jim Heemstra, uh, at a different level, Ross Graham, uh, Dick Gerber, you know, were really helpful in that all. That's great. Thanks. I appreciate you sharing a little bit of that. And I think other people will too. Well, Jim, this has been great. We really appreciate you taking your time. We appreciate your thoughtful answers. I've, I've enjoyed the interaction, and uh, we're really glad and pray that the Lord would continue to bless your work. So thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Uh, it's great to be with you. You know, as we think about the work of God, uh, he works in normal ways, and sometimes he works in extraordinary ways. And uh, it's just amazing to see the acts of God. And uh, to him belongs all the glory and praise. Thank you, listeners. That's it for today's episode. You can go to the website at outwardopc.com to check out more resources. And you can sign up for our email list where you will receive notifications when new things are available. Until then, we'll see you next episode.